Podcasting, the remarkably crowded frontier. These are the conversations of two brothers and their mom. Their 13-episode mission, to explore strange old movies, to seek out new bits and new jokes, to boldly go where no mom has gone before. Hello and welcome to the final Next Generation episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before. I'm one of your hosts, Captain Casey Ryan. Joining me, it's Commander Colin Ryan. And, oh, Admiral on the bridge, we have our mother, Laura Ryan. Hello, everyone. Welcome. (laughs) Mom, you're doing your NPR voice today. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was more like there's something wrong with the computer. It may be trying to kill us this episode. I would have rather that off. story than this bullshit we just sat through. <sighs> yeah. What a what a what a pisser of a send-off for this crew. I mean it's yuck. It's just, I think, obviously the least successful. Well, there was one other that got lower rotten tomatoes than this one. I would say this is the least successful Star Trek film. We'll get there. Oh man. I know you have your, your hatred for well, I mean, I just I haven't rewatched any of the the Abrams ones gotcha. in years and years. So, but I know you as of right now you have a hatred for Into Darkness because it is Wrath of Khan with some cheese put on it and reheated in the microwave, and hopefully you don't notice the same flavor. I mean, so are huge, so are huge swaths of this movie. This mm-hmm. is the first time that they tried to remake Wrath of Khan, and mm-hmm. I think they did a better job with. Well, it, Into it's Darkness. definitely not the one with the whale. <laughs> no. no. No, my favorite. No, though, uh, some fun production thing. Did anyone notice, uh, and all your pedantic nerds listening, you probably did, the Enterprise E has a different look to it in this movie? Well, you pointed that out before, <laughs> yeah. It did, it did, maybe only because you'd pointed it out, did I say, it does look longer. Mm-hmm. It's a little longer, the, door, the midsection of it, like between the saucer and the star drive section. I don't know. I don't know if this one separates. Is shorter. For no reason. Mm-hmm. Last film. Why don't, yeah, let's mess with the design of the Enterprise and not make any mention of it. Uh, also, the bridge is, is much bigger in this one than it was in the last two. And it was nice. It was pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's the problem with this movie, right? Like, it shot really well. Seward Bard is an editor and I and, uh, think maybe he's done a little cinematography, but he's not a director. And this was his swan song, and it should have been. There are parts of it, actually, I don't think look very good at all. But there um, are some really cool shots. And actually, a couple of the really fun shots ended up on the cutting room floor, which we will also talk about all the great scenes that should have saved this Yeah, well, you know, we talked a little bit about sort of uh, adventurous or, or inventive cinematography when we were interviewing Jonathan Frakes mm-hmm. and when we were talking about the two films he directed. I think this is... For me, a real object lesson in it's great. A great camera trick, a great uh, uh, camera movement is, is fun. But if it's not serving the story, if it's just there to draw attention to itself, yeah, it may not be the right move. Which is something that 
Jonathan Frakes does so well. He is definitely a flashy director, but in a good way. You know a Jonathan Frakes episode when you watch it because it has very specific shots to it and beats and rhythms and all that, but it's not, look at what I can do with the camera. It is, I'm trying to keep things interesting, you know? Yeah. And Stuart well, Bard I mean, just, d- just didn't care about Star Trek. He, he Is it Bard or Baird? It's a bastard, in my opinion. No, no, no. Uh, we should we should restrict ourselves from ad hominem attacks. But uh, <laughs> how's it spelled? B a i r d. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's usually <clears throat> it's Baird. That's usually Baird. Okay. Baird. Well, it, okay. Let me just say this because you two get going, and I can't. <laughs> anyway, I have to. A lot of the things that I will comment on, mm-hmm. I have to give credit to a guy named Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Who does a review, and it's his thing is called Musings of a Middle Aged Geek. And I read them, and he brought out things to me that I had not noticed. We're talking about the um, Enterprise, the the Enterprise. Uh, yeah, but the where they all sit. I, God, the ready room, the, the bridge. No, oh, the conference the bridge, room. the bridge, the bridge, the bridge, the mm-hmm. bridge. He says, um, the gorgeous color palette of the Enterprise Bridge set a smooth, soothing mix of grays, russet tones, and blues. Mm-hmm. And the other thing he comments on are the beautiful stained glass windows in the scene with Picard and Shinzon. Remember the Oh, the in the black, Romulan. Um, yeah, the, the remember the Senate? stained yeah. glass windows? That, those two things. And I didn't notice them. I read this stuff and then I watched it again. I thought, oh yeah, he's very, very right. Those stained glass windows, I wish I had one to put in my window. But you, were gorgeous. But you know who I, I don't credit for any of that? Stuart Baird. Oh, no, no. He, but, so uh, apparently, John Frakes was not even asked to direct mm-hmm. this movie, at which he said. But he was doing something else. No, he said if he'd been asked, he would have done it. And I think this would have maybe come out a little better. Then they went to LeVar Burton. And LeVar Burton was knocked out, not by Rick Berman, surprisingly, but by Paramount themselves, because Stuart Baird had done unofficial edits on Mission Impossible 2 and another movie as a favor to get a directing gig. And this is what they gave him. Well, it says uh, here go. that they had. He also, yes, he also found that the cast would discuss any issues they had with direction he gave to their characters. Despite Frakes being in the cast and having directed the previous two Star Trek films, films, Baird decided not to seek his opinion on the direction of the film. He said there was no resentment on set. <laughs> yeah, right. Noting that Frakes, Frakes was completing work on directing Cockstoppers at the time. Oh, right, Cockstoppers. But he could have been, he could have finished that and done this. They they just, they didn't ask him. And it's absolutely ridiculous that they did. Well, I, I think it's important to remember that this is a group of people who, A, you know, much like, like Meyer talked about when he, when he came on board and we, we heard those stories he told about meeting with the, the, the uh, cast of the original series and talking to them about their characters and learning that they knew these characters better than he ever would. Right. And that, that that wasn't going to be the part that he was going to be primarily responsible for. But these are also people who had seven years mm-hmm. of a new director every week. It's probably some of which they worked more closely and more easily with than others. <laughs> so if, it's, it, if they did have resentments, I'm sure they were very well hidden because 
that is an important part of a professional life of being a series regular is being able to roll with a new director week by week. But if you look at, like, like we, I sent you both through subspace the deleted scenes, and there is some interview footage with the director, and he just comes well, off not great. <laughs> yeah, there is a, the, the, his intro to a scene that he describes as a second rape mm-hmm. um, is was a little bit of a skin crawler for me. Uh, and I'm he gl- seemed to enjoy the idea of that a little much. And we'll get into that whole plot line and, mm-hmm. and where it comes from. And I think, I think what John Logan might have been trying to do, the scriptwriter, mm-hmm. might have been slightly different than where it wound up being. But Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of rape, as we've discussed here, and I've discussed a bunch on the Superpod Cast, but... You, you is, mean as a plot device, as a, not just as the a, Well, yeah, both. <laughs> Let's yes. go with both. Um, but definitely because this will be, with, with the two that were originally shot for this, this will be the third time Deanna has a telepathic rape brought upon her. Yeah, it's a little creepy. And it's just like, can we stop making her the rape victim? Nobody needs to be in this. It, it can be a psychic attack. It can be a, a hundred other things. It does not have to be because she's a woman her uh, body trying to be violated. Yeah, or mind. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I it's, mean, her mind can be violated. That's, the, you know, a psychic attack, but it doesn't need to be that it's sexual assault on her. Yeah, there are ways to code, film, write, present a psychic attack that does not make it a metaphor for sexual assault. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And... It's probably best that you try to do that whenever possible. Oh, yeah. because it's especially, especially you know, when it's just anyway. We're going to get into it. We sure are. Who, so, Casey, you probably know more about pre-production on this than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- this was set out to be the final uh, Next Generation film. Uh, mm-hmm. This was filmed at the same time as second season of Enterprise. There was a fun little thing, uh, you know, Bakula con- continuing the tradition of being uh, a bit of a jokester. Uh, one day they came in to shoot some scenes on the Enterprise E set, and uh, the captain's chair was missing. And in this place, it just said John Luke Picard, I believe, written in like crayon or very crudely. And uh, they kind of started searching around, and, and Bacula kind of copped to him. It's like, oh, it's uh, it's in my it's in my trailer. Who's <laughs> Bacula? Scott Bacula, Captain oh, Archer, Scott. who is okay. mentioned by ship in this movie, the USS Archer. Yeah, it's the first time we get an Archer reference because it's the first time we have. Canonically, a Captain Archer, who is captain of the NX-1 Enterprise. So you, you say an Archer reference, and I want to say phrasing. Are we, <laughs> phrasing. Still, do, are we still doing phrasing? <laughs> That's for the other um, podcast. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot of pre-production stuff, except that, like, people who weren't available, one person, you know, the weird thing that they had a wedding on the Enterprise and then they're going to go to Beta Z was, I'm guessing, written because Majel Barrett Roddenberry was not available. She was doing work on Andromeda. So, and, Well, and also, of course, to explain why they were not having a traditional Beta Zoid wedding in the nude. Listen, let it happen. About time we got some nudity in these Star Trek movies. Search has commented on the wedding that the dress, she loved the dress. Mm-hmm. It was prettier than the act, the, the dress she actually got married in. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. That's what she said. Yeah. Um, man, I remember being so jazzed because 
they're like, this is going to be the final one. I'm like, oh, you guys are going to do a really good job. And I remember, Mom, we saw this together at Shopping Town Mall. And I distinctly remember walking out and looking at that poster that says a generation's final adventure Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just kind of like shaking my head like that's how they're going to end this amazing franchise is uh, uh, Spinner and Spiner. Brett and Brent. Brent, I think it was, had started. <laughs> started um, all over with Brent Spiner, not Brett Spinner. <laughs> What's well, wrong with me Br- today? Brett, Sp- Brett Spinner is the earlier, less sophisticated model of Brent oh, Spiner. That's Brett Spinner oh. is B4. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, B4. Brett and I think Berman had started writing, had an idea for another Star Trek movie. Sure. Next there generation. Was, but there this was one was so bad, they went, nope, not going to, not get, mm-mm. Well, there was an idea that there was going to be like a cameo by the Enterprise, and they were going to move on to the Titan and have the adventures oh. of Captain Riker. Would you believe that there's a novel series? Oh, sure. <laughs> Would you believe? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I mean, he shows up on Lower Decks as well, Captain Riker of the Titan, and the Titan yeah, goes on like balls to the wall adventures. There's something like a dozen Titan novels, um... Written by Peter David. Ooh. If I recall, if I recall, Shelby from Best of Both Worlds becomes his XO. That's awkward. Because <laughs> yeah. Shelby definitely wanted the part of Jan- Deanna Troy. <laughs> she, she definitely wanted to copulate with that man. Yeah, well, that's not. You mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, See, all these references to the TV shows that you guys talk about, I don't remember any of these. Then, then I will remind you that when we were watching the... Um, the end of Best of Both Worlds, and Shelby goes to leave, and she says something about, you know, I don't like your tactics to Riker, but I but I still respect you. Mom, you decide to say, and I still want to jump your bones. I, I, yeah. I just don't remember any of this. I think you're well, putting words in my mouth. I really do. Happened. I swear. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> The only other thing I have are three people, I'm going to now call this, you know, three episodes from the end of this podcast, why not come up with a fun name for this? Cadet Hopefuls, otherwise known as Almost Casts, uh, for the part of Shinzon, three people I found mm-hmm. uh, auditioned or read for the role. Jude Law. Yeah, I can see that. James Marsters, is that how you say his name? Marsters. Yes. And no, not, not James Marsden from the X-Men films, Mom. James Marsters, Spike. Yeah. Oh, okay. Buff- okay. Spike from Buffy. Yeah. They were just, they were just, basically they were casting cheekbones, right? <laughs> Seems like <laughs> it, yeah. And then Michael Shanks, who did not ring a bell with me. Mm, I don't know the name. Yeah. Um, sorry, Mr. Shanks, I didn't, I didn't look you up. Man, the problem is Tom Hardy does a good job. Okay, let me, let me just, here's my thought on Tom Hardy. Here's what I thought about Tom Hardy after I watched this. Okay. Tom Hardy is doing a wonderful job playing Dracula <laughs> in not at all a Dracula movie. Yeah. He, Except it is sort of a Dracula movie because like his whole thing with Troy is Dracula and Mina mm-hmm. and he's surrounded by guys who look like Nosferatu from <laughs> yes, <they do. laughs> F.W. Murnau. It's like, it's this really weird like space Dracula movie, which I kind of wonder if John Logan was consciously referencing. I feel I, I, if not, Whoever read the script, I did not look up who the costume designer is. The Riemann costumes are definitely uh, space vampires. Did, did anyone else find the Riemann costumes distracting as they as you heard every creak of every <laughs> bit of pleather? 
Not every time that. they moved. Yeah, I noticed it that. It really feels like that could have been softened in the... Oh, well, also, editing. Tom just looks so uncomfortable. And good for him. He's like 22? Five. He's 25. Nice. 25. You can see that he can't put his arms down from where I have them. Like He's like a bodybuilder, so he, his uh, thing is to put his hands behind his back. I'm like, yeah. smart, 25-year-old to be able to go, oh, I look stupid with this. Let me just tuck my hands behind my back so it doesn't look as dumb. Well, no, he's, he was, clear, he's clearly a, a terrific a- actor. Yeah, Go ahead, Mom. He was in Europe when Patrick called his agent and said, do you have any people that we might be able to get? And he sent, called about Hardy. Hardy sent, originally sent, he got a hold of the script and did a scene in the nude. <laughs> yeah, right. Not not the scene he'd been asked to do. He somehow no, laid but, hands on the full whatever, script. But, but when, they, when he did the final scene, where he got, they got he and Patrick together, he was clothed. But That's he good. originally sent something in the nude. Now, to listen, yeah. Tom Hardy's a fantastic actor, but also seems like a, a, a very eccentric individual. Well, well, he's, he's almost unrecognizable in this. He is wearing facial prosthetics. Yeah, he's got yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to look more like... Like the only Patrick thing that Stewart. they couldn't do was the lips, because yes. he's got much fuller lips than, than I, uh, Patrick. Yes, I, I pointed out last night when I was watching it to she who is my wife, Danny. I said, yeah, they got the nose right, and, you know, he's bald, okay, but Hardy's got pillow lips, and uh, Patrick has, you know, Englishman lips. <laughs> well, the, the, food <laughs> in, the food in Riemann... Forced labor mines is famously spicy oh, and causes so the lips to swell. As you know, um, the bald thing is a bit of a so. Well, there's a continuity problem with it. Picard I mean, had hair. I don't at feel the like continuity was an issue. It, yeah, it, that was one of the things that Sebastian mentioned. Yeah, I mean, of course he did. We we, we saw, saw that in multiple tapestry. flashbacks in in the show, but mm-hmm. it's also just it feels a little insulting to the audience of like. You'll never know who he's supposed to be. If they had put a wig on Tom Hardy in that picture, you know? Yeah. You, even if they'd had him be bald as Shinzon for the look, but that one shot of him as young Picard in the pic, in the photograph, I feel like you should have, you know, it just feels like you'll never recognize who he is if we don't make him bald. And this is my problem with Stuart Baird. It feels like he thinks that because it's an American film and he's a British man, he, I feel like he thinks if he doesn't hand us all the information, we're not going to get. Like, there's a very specific moment later in the film that once we start talking about it, I'm going to point out is this is unnecessary on every level and kind of insulting un- insulting to your Star Trek audience. We're smarter than He it. never watched a, an episode of Next Generation. He hated the fact that he had to come into uh, a, a franchise as, oh, well, then, Stuart, don't accept the job. There you go. The you know, two previous things he directed had been extremely American films as mm. well, Executive Decision <laughs> and U.S. Marshals. Both um, not great films. <laughs> you know, both sort of solid, middling, you know, mid-budget 90s action films. That's really sort of, that was his thing. And this feels... Not like a mid-budget action film? Like a lot of a lot of that laid over Star Trek, yeah. right? Like Definitely. It's not a film you pick apart by going, oh, well, these... There are a few moments, but it's not like, wow, this gaping plot holes don't make sense. It just doesn't feel like like Star Trek The Next Generation. No, it doesn't. In a lot of ways. And it's a weird bridge to where we're going to get with the Abrams movies that feel much more action-oriented. And Well, you know, it's interesting. With the exception of, like, I thought those desert scenes were pretty washed-out mm-hmm. looking. But it's competently shot. It's competently mm-hmm. made. It's it's It has a... 
plot that holds together. It's slick. It's not very good. No, not at all. But it's well made. Yeah. I, and I feel like I feel like this is an early pioneer in in a type of film of which there is a lot now. A lot of film and television now is extremely well made, but not very good. Like it's slick trash. Slick a, a, a more <laughs> and my memory of at least one more film we'll talk about is that it fits in that category mm. too. Um, but that was sort of my takeaway watching this. Was like, so Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is an objectively less well-made film mm-hmm. that I would rather watch again. 100%. Yeah. Much more watchable because than this thing. Because, because it, it's more interesting. Well, not only that. It, its flaws are more interesting. It's trying something and failing mm-hmm. mostly. But it, its flaws are more interesting than something that's sort of slick and a little cynical and a little, you know, paint-by-numbers action film. I don't know. Does that make any sense to you guys? It does. Uh, how about you, Mom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> there's, there's that uh, <laughs> deep, deep conversation from uh, Admiral Mom. <laughs> well, one of the things that this guy Sebastian commented on, and I agree, and what I didn't really think about, is he says... Benson and the Ramians should be sympathetic characters, but they're not. Instead of being freed slaves of Spartacus, they are depicted as little more than hideous monsters. This is one of the reasons this film doesn't work as a Star Trek film. Yep. You should feel some sympathy for the for the Ramians. Yeah, I think if you took this script and had someone else direct it, mm-hmm. not necessarily Jonathan Frakes, but someone who was... Well, he would have been great, but someone who understood the genre, it would have been a better film. LeVar Burton. This is this is yeah. a LeVar Burton who, type script. I mean, having well, he a, directed more more episodes of Next Generation than Jonathan Frakes did. Right. Frakes Frakes got more under his belt with Deep Space Nine and, and Enterprise yeah. and now I'm mean, everything passed. But yeah, LeVar directed what, five? I mean I just he was he's of an accomplished director. He probably should have gotten a shot at it. I just think there are tweaks that would help the script too. Um, the general idea, like I don't love the clone Picard thing. I don't think that they managed to make enough of though. Some of those deleted scenes you sent Casey do better job with the, like the idea of, is he me or is he not mm-hmm. nature versus nurture? Mm-hmm. How much better would that have been if it had been Sila, Tasha Yar's Romulan daughter from a time displaced was uh, a recurring villain. They tried to get her in the film and they just somehow couldn't make it work. I, why wasn't Sila part of this storyline? Why wasn't she the primary antagonist? Why wasn't she the person who led a coup in Romulus? Even even if it's Shinsan and then third act, like after the incredibly unnecessary kidnap and rescue of Picard halfway through this film that felt like the end of the film. Even if it had been like they get her get her back and the scimitar decloaks over Romulus there and the screen pops up and you're like, oh it's gonna be Shinzon, but instead it's Sila. That would have been phenomenal. We all would have gone, what the something like the role that Dina Meyer's character played, the female Romulan commander whose name I don't remember. Right. Uh, Starship Troopers lady. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I think lore rather than B4. Oh my God. A stronger and choice. How about it the just, fact that they find a, you know, you know I'm going to say like, here, they find a positronic 
thing. They see that it's data when they're on the planet, and nobody's like, can we call Starfleet Command and make sure lore is still deactivated and broken up in Starfleet Command? There is no mention of lore. Because I feel like Stuart Baird is like, we can't talk about anything from the TV show that made these characters these characters. Why is Worf here? uh, To be fair to Stuart Baird, that's not a decision the director necessarily is making. It may be a decision that's being made by John Logan writing the script. Well, then, it may, who to John Logan? Well, I suspect it's more a decision being made by Paramount. It's so interesting, right? Because this was a time where the impulse was, don't get too much into mythology. Don't, don't make, sh- make sure the audience doesn't feel like they have to have seen something else to understand this, which is so, so the opposite of today's media impulse of, well, if you haven't seen... WandaVision, you're probably not going to understand half of the new Doctor Strange. That's very true, but I, I will have to point out a little uh, film franchise was up and running at this point called The Lord of the Rings. Well, that's an interesting point. This is sort of a massive box office disappointment. Uh-huh. Uh, this opened opposite The Two Towers. Sure did. And Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Sure did. Uh, and <laughs> was the, its next weekend, uh, Die Another Day opened. Oh. Jeez, it thing had no chance. It got the hell beat out of it at the box office. Even if it had been I mean, that a more was a successful really... movie, it still wouldn't have beat out Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Bond. That's a, It was a questionable scheduling decision on Paramount's part, to say the least. Sure was. Sure was. Um, Mom, as, as someone who is less tied into the deep minutiae of the franchise than Casey and I, do you, you, you know, you remember lore, you remember... Tasha Yar had a daughter who came back as a Roman. I don't remember that. So no. yesterday's Enterprise, when the Enterprise C comes through a rift and it changes the Enterprise D into a military vessel rather than an exploration vessel, when it has to go back through, they need a certain number of crew members. Tasha's on the bridge of the D as a military vessel because obviously when they found uh, Black Goo Man, I can't think of his name, Argus? Art, art, artists, artists, art, 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 whatever it is, they probably just you know torpedoed him from orbit. They didn't <laughs> going down there and trying to talk to him because they're a military vessel. When it goes back through, Tasha goes with them, and you assume the the Enterprise C was destroyed on its maiden mission. Pretty much, the- they should have named a new ship something other than Enterprise because Enterprise keeps getting destroyed. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about how I thought. Uh, Riker smashed it into in this one. I'm like, and he still gets to be a captain after smashing the flagship of the Federation. Um, so when they then did unification a couple of years later, where Spock came to Next Generation, that's where we find out that uh, the Romulans were able to take some prisoners that included Tasha Yar. She fell in love with was a sexual slave to not really remember a Romulan and surprise Sila was born who is pretty much Tasha with some Romulan makeup on blonde hair and all only so, blonde what was the original Romulan. question because I do you remember if you had, that? No, well no, <laughs> no. Really, really just what do you feel like if this had had stronger ties to the show it would have been a, made it a better experience for you, or more oh just... yeah, okay, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. That's um, that's one of the things that this guy Sebastian. The main thing that that really jumped out to me is that when they're doing the desert scene with the doom buggy, which he ridicules something fierce, the prime directive is just thrown out the window. 
Yeah. Well, you know, they kill the people. They, they've never had contact with them. And they go to the, the thing and they, it, it, you know, I push. They will just shoot them. That's why they had warfare, so he could shoot that big gun out I, the back. You know? I'll push up against that little. They were really careful to not interfere with them. Like, Data even says, here's where the positronic signals are. Mm-hmm. They're all the way over here. They didn't expect them to find them. And most of the the shots they're taking are in defense. But, yeah, the Prime Directive is always kind of wishy-washy on whether or not it serves the story. Well, okay, so we, I mean, we sort of skipped jumping into a, a uh, somebody, who, was, who drew the short straw on reading this? Oh, that's me. But we sort of started talking about the plot. I, I, to me, the whole, it, it really is out of nowhere. Just, like, oh, hey, positronic signal. Let's go do that. It's a very it's it. It really is a plot hook announcing itself. Yes, in a very unsubtle way. Yeah, it's almost like Data should be like, uh, Captain, we found the MacGuffin. I mean, a uh, posturetic signal. Sorry, like yeah. it's such a terrible. Okay, <clears throat> let's um, let's talk about this movie. <laughs> okay, Are we we're gonna do the. We have the, it, Start man. doing your. Uh... Yeah, right here. Oh, it went away on Romulus. This one actually starts where the movie starts, so good for uh, Wikipedia. On Romulus, members of the Romulan Senate debate terms of peace and alliance with the Riemann rebel leader, Shinzo. It would be madness to reject it. I beg you not to let prejudice or politics interfere with this alliance. The Riemanns are a slave race from the Romulan Empire from the neighboring planet, Remus. Used as miners and cannon fodder in the Dominion War, which... If we're not going to talk about everything else in this film uh, that happened in other franchises, the Dominion War never happened in Next Generation. If you skipped Deep Space Nine like I did at the time of this coming out, I'm like, oh, I guess there's a war happening. Okay. Well, I guess they mentioned it in the last movie, so that makes sense. But I, it drives me nuts that they're like, oh, yeah, they're cannon fodder. And yet we saw many a battle in Deep Space Nine. Do you remember seeing any Remans, Colin? Because no, but you didn't see much of the the Romulans either. Well, that's true. The whole subject of the Remans is a little fuzzy, right? Are they also break off Vulcans who then broke off onto this other planet and evolved into uh, Nosferatu yeah. because they lived on the dark side, or are they the native population of the planets we know as Romulus and Remus? conquered by those breakaway Vulcans who called themselves Romulans? Or did nobody actually figure out an answer to that question? And, and I guess, what you, Mom, you were saying that thing about it would be better if there was a, a little more sympathy and understanding for their, mm-hmm. their plight, because they really are, a, a you know, like they could have been Spartacus, or even more, they could have been, um, at, you know, anybody who throws off an oppressive power but then becomes the oppressors themselves. Right. Sure. Um, it's like history repeating itself. Exactly. You yeah. could you could have gone for that whole thing, but to do that, you would have had to be a little more specific about who these guys are instead of Ron Perlman and a bunch of other guys in Halloween masks. I mean, they're actually. It's actually. I say, keep saying that. It's great makeup. It just it obscures the point because you got, it makes you go wait. So who are they? Well, when you get Ron Perlman a face made for prosthetics, it's going to look great. There's a thing here that this guy, Sebastian, says. He says the newly liberated Romulans are depicted as ugly monsters. Remans, you Simply mean? because... Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Remans. Because 
simply because the movie needed obvious, quote, bad guys. Sure, yeah. It says here, um, interesting that the Romulans are not the movie's bad guys for keeping the Riemann brothers enslaved in the mines for nearly 2,000 years. Good point. Yeah. But then he, he uh, references back in the classic TOS episode, Devil in the Dark, mm-hmm. the rock-dwelling monster known as the Horta was later revealed to be the mother of protecting her eggs. That is one of my favorite, that and Tribbles are two of my favorite episodes. It says, no such luck with this shallow film, which never owns up to its blatant racism. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, you know, for, for all the, the ways that previous film, Insurrection, didn't quite fulfill all of its philosophical questions in ways that satisfied us and most audience members, I think it mm-hmm. asked them. And I think, yeah, I think... I would have loved to have seen a movie, a movie that had been maybe even less of an action movie and more of a, not just a diplomatic drama, but diplo, you know, where the, so, you know, the Federation does the right thing in the sense that they go to make diplomatic envoys to this newly liberated people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who have mm-hmm. overthrown their oppressors. If there had been a story where Picard was de- conducting diplomacy and then all sorts of like spy skullduggery was happening behind the scenes that Shinzon waited to reveal his bad guyness a lot later. And we'd spent more time on Romulus and less of just sort of like, oh, well, what's his plan? His plan is he's got a real big ship. He's going to shoot it at Earth. You know, like it's just it was it, it could have been a much more interesting never getting near Earth, much more sort of political, like, a you know, like undiscovered country. More of a political yeah, thriller, yeah. That, that, yeah, exactly. That would have been the closest. At this, I think at this point in the franchise, that ship has sailed. Right? Mm-hmm. They all have to be big budget action films. None of them can be sort of tense political thrillers, much less weird fish out of water comedies or whatever. You know, we they, we've we've solidified what Star Trek as a genre in film is, and it is zoom zoom pew pew space fights. Yeah. Even if that's not the most natural prog- or interesting progression of the story, like you're saying, Mom. Yeah. I think I, yeah. I think what we all love about Star Trek has now become what's done on TV. Like, Discovery has its pew-pew moments, but it's a, a lot of who are we as a, as a society, especially now that they're so far in the future. Spoilers if you haven't watched Discovery, sorry. But wh- who we are 900 years from where we know Star Trek to be. So, yeah, I'm right with you. I think this should have been less pew-pew, more think-think. The military does not dictate policy on Romulus. The Praetor and the Senate are opposed to the alliance, and a Starship Trooper lady gets a phone call. She has to leave. She leaves her her little plot device, I guess. Fortina Meyer. Fortina Meyer. Look, that's that's the thing most nerds know her from, is Starship Troopers. Would someone alert security? Bring back Senator Talora. And one of the more violent moments we've had in a Star Trek movie. Uh, the entire Senate is Voldemort. Yeah. Danny saw him going, that was really kind of violent. Like, you could have just disintegrated them, like, uh, just evaporated them, but turning them to stone and then falling and breaking apart. <laughs> like, holy shit. I can't decide if I like or. I guess I like that they just went, they went ahead and uh, this is, I believe, our first trip 
to the Rom the center of Romulan power. We've been to Romulus before on our, uh, Next Generation, mm-hmm. where they just said, "Ah, screw it, it's just Rome." One hundred percent. I mean, they call themselves it's, the Romulan Senate. It's space at Rome, though. Technically, the leader should be a consul rather than a praetor, though what Shinzon actually acts like is more like the Roman role of uh, dictator. But anyway, well, no, I mean, that was a that was an actual a dictator was not a pejorative in ancient Rome. It was a temporary position for a year for emergencies. Regular government would be suspended. Somebody would be made dictator. And then they turned it in after a year. So it doesn't have the same pejorative connotations that we have. There were many, many dictators in Roman history who then turned it in. And then there was Caesar who didn't. Um, yes. But I think praetor is something they've used before. So that's probably why they ran with it. Plus, it sounds cooler than consul. Yeah. After the Romulan Senate is Baltimore, we then move to the USS Enterprise E. Duty. Starship captain's life is filled with... Solemn duty. Where they are bidding farewell to the newly married First Officer Commander William Riker and Counselor Deanna Troy. I know on an occasion such as this, it is expected that I be gracious and fulsome in my praise on the wonders of this blessed union. But have the two of you considered what you were doing to me? Some things to point out in this scene. There is a deleted scene. Mom, you said you didn't like it. Um, I thought it was kind of fun with Wesley. Uh, Rick Berman and I believe Patrick Stewart personally asked him to do this role and then it ended up on the cutting room floor and you can just see him sitting next to Beverly but there's this great scene where you find out that Will's going to the Titan he's going to be part of the engineering staff and you know they've got the double blah 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 uh, you know all these really cool things and while he's talking he sees a pretty girl and he's like excuse me for a second I need to go uh, mack it to this lady over here Wesley's two core things tech genius and space horn dog <laughs> that's what he is but he looks he looks like he's stoned i mean well now mom i know you have some gaps in your memory of the series but when he left he was going on an intergalactic vision quest <laughs> with a guy called the traveler so he probably is stoned it oh, makes perfect sense probably had some space peyote he's been yeah he's been yeah he's been doing space peyote in a space van for like six seven years now okay but the weird thing is, instead of being a galaxy on the side of the van, it's a desert. Yeah. Uh, a couple things also. Worf is here for no reason. It is cut out of the film because if you were a fan of Deep Space Nine, Worf goes off to become an ambassador for the Klingon Empire. He is no longer a Starfleet officer at the end of Deep Space Nine. But yet, not only is he a Starfleet officer in this movie, apparently he's part of the Enterprise crew because he is just back at his old station, which... It's not what he ran on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I get I get them not wanting to bog people down, but I still think you could have nicely elided it, and it could have been fun to have Worf attending the wedding in full Klingon regalia, and then the rest of the movie in Klingon regalia, and just having so, Ambassador Worf. Would you mind helping? Glad to, you know. Yeah, you'd have to augment the voice more because that was another thing. Stewart didn't think that for some reason. Michael Dorn's voice was deep enough to be an alien voice. And if you go back and listen to all of his uh, lines, they are augmented to be deeper. I will not do it. Which is just quite possibly the stupidest thing ever. So as we're talking about these deleted scenes, which if anybody is watching along with us, are a more pleasurable watching experience than a lot of the movies. So are worth tracking down and not hard to find. Um, there's, the one, there's one with, between Worf and Picard. 
that which doesn't have a lot of reason there except to just give a nice moment for Michael Dorn, which, I, look, I don't have any objection to making sure we spend time with these characters in their last outing. But imagine if he was no, not a Starfleet officer. He was a Klingon ambassador mm-hmm. helping his friends on this mission. And he came to Picard with these concerns and they had to negotiate, okay, well, I'm the, I'm the captain, but I'm no longer technically on your crew. And there could have been, a, you know, not a, a, a shouting match, but some sort of interpersonal procedural conflict to be resolved. An ambassador and a captain. For that scene. Yeah. Right. Well, the other problem is absolutely listen to Worf with, when it comes to the Romulans. He's going to be the most paranoid of the Romulans because they killed his dad. The Kinnamar yeah. Accord massacre was because of the Romulans. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why that scene's there and it's just cut for for no reason. Like That scene came up when I was watching the deleted scenes. I'm like, right, this is super important to Worf. Because he lost his family because yeah. of the Romulans. I wish you both clear horizons, my good friends. Make it so. They're in the uh, wedding. I want to point out that it is 2002, and Data says the line Ladies and gentlemen, and invited transgendered species. And I went, Holy crap. Dear Star Trek bros who say that Star Trek has become woke, spoiler alert, Star Trek has always been woke. Yeah, that yeah. I, I, that did stand out to me, and as think, awesome as just a great like moment yeah. for yeah, this is how we should address people. I mean, uh, I I have now done it. I didn't do it for when we were talking to Jonathan, but if I want to quote unquote address the audience on uh, the Superpod Herocast, I say guys and gals and non-binary pals. That covers nice. everybody. Oh, you're such a star. The one thing I noticed in the wedding scene when Data is doing his little speech there, and it, it's nitpicky, <laughs> but it just it drove me crazy all three times that I watched this film. Oh, Lord. Well, you know, that, you know my brain, it doesn't. <laughs> He's got all this makeup on, on mm-hmm. his face and the yellow eyes, and when he opens his mouth, there's this bright red tongue. <laughs> He's always had a bright red tongue, though. I know, but you t- I guess it's because he doesn't normally... Open his mouth wide. Right, so it's wide it's, enough to sing. Yeah, or, right, not wide enough to see. And it mm-hmm. was like, I found it very distracting. Sorry. There were some interesting makeup things. I did clock at one point, uh, not, never going to remember the name of Dina Myers, Romulan commander. Star Trek Rom- but, Starship Romulan. Yeah. Uh, she, she had a pretty, like right at her jawline, mm-hmm. it went from green to human flesh tones. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it, it was like it's the in that she scene tra- she has with Shinzon when she's trying to vamp it up, no pun intended, and uh, and seduce him. You know. <laughs> oh, and, and Shinzon's response that might be the best moment for uh, Shinzon in the entire movie. If you ever touch me again, I'll kill you. Well, Dracula is not actually interested anymore in the brides of Dracula. <laughs> He's only interested in Mina. Yeah. Seriously. And blood. He want, he literally wants Picard's blood. It's a vampire thing. It's so yeah. weird. So I honestly wonder if John Logan was trying to riff on the, the actual plot of Dracula. Because if you recall from your many readings of the novel or watching a movie or two, mm-hmm. but the actual in the actual novel, the psychic connection that Dracula forms with Mina is turned against him and used to hunt and locate him, just <laughs> like what they do in this movie. So it really does seem like a, an obvious reference. Yeah, you're right. One thing that this guy, Sebastian, says, he said... Oh, hang on, hang on. For the rest of the podcast, 
Let's just assume that what you have to share with us is from this guy Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't I, have to I keep starting this... every sentence. No, no, that's I'm, why I'm saying you know, it here. That's why I'm saying it here. I want you, I you, want you guys to read this thing because it's really. He said, "No, I'm, I'm, I have no problem with what you're saying. Just that, so you don't have to start every sentence with one thing this guy Sebastian said. Well, if it's him, just credit. say it. And then if it's okay. you, you can go ahead and say, mm. I had this thought.' It's <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> Shinzon refuses her advances by telling her he'll kill her if she ever gives him Romulan cooties again. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. I really liked the way that, I mean, that is as mustache twirly as this character gets with just the venom in his voice of, if you ever touch me again. He's like, jeez, okay. If you were any, if you had any question of whether or not Shinzon was a bad guy, But it also is a turning point of that character, where she convinces Donatra to quietly initiate a military coup against that. That was like the turning point for that character to move in another direction. Yeah, we kind of pointed out, you know, very little humor in this film, but Brent Spiner selling the... the rendition of Blue Sky starting out really awkward and then going into full crooner mode was mm-hmm. was quite delightful for me because Brent Spiner is a fantastic singer. I mean, and do we do we like Worf having <laughs> a grudge against Irving Berlin? Yes, I, I guess Worf, Worf's great. a Cole Porter guy, maybe Gershwin. <laughs> I think so. Well, he doesn't like Gilbert and Sullivan, as established in the last film. Yeah, but he he knows it because he's saying it. No, he remember he said, "Are you familiar with Gilbert and Sullivan?" Yeah, but then he starts seeing it. Remember, because it shows up on the screen. He's just reading. Oh, I didn't see it on the screen. They're karaokeing it. (laughs) Um, Uh, How are we still at the wedding? Um, No, no, the last thing with the wedding is a deleted scene that. Oh my God! Why is this not in the film? The scene with Picard and Data after the wedding. Oh, yeah, that's a nice scene. It's Star Mm -hmm. Trek. It's Star Trek at its core. It's so beautiful. (laughs) It's two characters talking philosophy and life and science. And it is just, every time I watch that scene, I'm like, how in the editing bay can you go, I don't need this. This is is a scene that should never have been cut. It's it's so frustrating. Uh, So... They're en route to a ceremony on Beta Z. Where we will all honor the Beta Zoid tradition. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be in the gym. They discover an energy reading. What sort of signature? Positronic. On the planet Kolaris 3. Diverting to the Kolaris system takes us awfully close to the Romulan neutral zone. We don't need the graphic of showing how close it is. That was very silly. <laughs> that was so silly that it's like, here's the planet. Here's the big red line, and here's the Rogers mm-hmm. sign. Like, we're not children. We get it. You could just say it's near the neutral zone. Captain John Luke Picard, security and tactical officer, Worf, sure, give him double duty. And Data land on the planet. In... So Spiner and Stewart have writing credits on this movie. Is it for this? We're Brent so, Spiner and Patrick Stewart. Like, we want to go dune bugging in the desert. Yeah, well, so I think the dune buggy thing was written in as a... Uh, something for that Patrick Stewart would enjoy. I do have a question uh, about our tire tracks exempt from the Prime Directive. <laughs> well, another thing is, uh, Argo, the ship's doom buggy, I kid you not, 
space dune buggies with rubber tires, for Christ's sake. We know that Star Trek has anti-gravity technology, so why the hell would there still be rubber-wheeled vehicles on the future? See, that doesn't bother me as much because I, I had the thought to him, like, why isn't this more, you know, a hover thing? For the same reason I don't like... Um, where there's touch pads for elevators, right? It breaks right. faster than a button. Mm-hmm. If you want something that can take any terrain, and a tire will last longer, you know. True, but so, but if you're if you're on anti gravity things, you don't have to worry about that until until the anti gravity breaks. You know what I mean? Like a tire, <laughs> you can change. I can change. Well, true. I, more people true. can change a tire than fix a hovercraft. This is true. <laughs> Yeah, but Data can fix anything because he's, right. he's the all-know-be-all. I mean, look, let's face it. The other reason the Argo is there is... Merchandising! Merchandising! Where the real money from the movie is made. I'm sure there was an Argo toy that probably did not sell particularly well. But, you know, it's <laughs> you get another Leave vehicle. Leave it to you, Colin, from where you work to think of merchandising. Well, but also, I mean, think of it this way. So, the transporter, right? A brilliant concept come up with in the 60s to save budget. So you don't have to keep landing the ship. Right, mm-hmm. but it circumvents cool landing vehicles that you can sell as toys because that wasn't where their mind was at in '66, but it's definitely where their mind is at in 2002. So it's definitely worth thinking about that being an influence on it. But yeah, but ty- I mean, there's just the, if you're trying to get in and out and not be noticed, dune buggying around is probably not the best way. It was cool, Patrick, with that grin on his face. Yeah, which Patrick did a lot of the the driving himself, except for the the hard turns and obviously the in and out of the uh, of the vessel itself. But everything else was him, and the fly and the flying off a cliff. Right, that wasn't I mean. computer generated. Uh, who knows? Um, <laughs> they didn't make they didn't make an Argo. Really? I'm looking. They made a Scorpion, but they didn't make an Argo. Okay. <laughs> Because everyone remembers the 30 seconds the scorpion is on screen. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I will always be puzzled by the human predilection for piloting vehicles at unsafe velocities. <laughs> Another question. Why does Data need to wear protective glasses? I understand why Brent Spiner needs to wear protective glasses. But why does Data... He doesn't have real eyes. But they... You, you, if you got... If you got sand in there. He went underwater in the last movie. That and, water and doesn't just damage him like sand would. Little yeah, grains of sand in there would probably the human the, the human eye has different reaction to water than sand too. No, I, I know. Just but, I wish they'd I don't know, figured out a way to take him off there. It would have made it more like, you know, oh data's uh, data's an android, you know. It also helps keep confused when he's holding his own severed head in his lap, <laughs> which is which. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, yeah, so they get to the planet. Yeah, we should probably talk about that. Um, uh, discover the remnants of an android rem- resembling Data named... P4. Dr. Sung's penchant for whimsical names seems to have no end. In the episode Brothers, is that where, where he goes to visit soon for the first time? And we hear the whole story of how there were three yeah. prototypes before Data and Lore? Yeah. Was this the first? Was this the second? Was this the third? Because I don't know, but when was it named? Exactly. Like the joke is B four. You have to have made another one. To uh, yeah, it kind of falls apart. Don't don't think about it. Don't think about it. Moving on. So they are attacked by the the pre-industrial Calorians. Space chase, not space chase. uh, Land chase for once uh, ensues. Like you said, 
Worf straight up murders a lot of those Calorians, no problem. Um, and they go back. Uh, the Enterprise is ordered to a diplomatic mission with the Romulans. Who orders that mission, guys? John Luke. It's Admiral Janeway, to which, boy, I hadn't watched Voyager, but when she popped up, I went, oh, I guess they get back on Voyager. <laughs> well, she's been promoted. That, sure. that was also, I believe, how I found out when I first saw it. But it, um, I was like, why is the video chat of Janeway sound and look worse than the video chats did on the show? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like, but I do love. They play the hits. You were the closest ship. We did it. We got there, guys. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I'm. I think we may have to go back and identify how many movies they use that. You're the only slash closest ship. Yeah. It's almost yeah. all of them. Almost all of them. Yep. Either that, or like in First Contact, it's you. You don't get to go. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the one thing I do want to point out in this scene also is uh, originally they wanted a different Voyager actor to join the cast, and that would be Seven of Nine, to which yeah. Jerry Ryan pretty much was like, that makes no sense. She was supposed to take over for um, Sirtis, who wasn't sure she wanted to come back from this film. That wouldn't have worked because you need to have the, the rape I scene. I mean, God, you couldn't... <laughs> well, you, Cybernetic you, implants, the Romulans and the Borg work together, it's... There's a weird that idea. It suggests rather unpleasant things about what role they think those respective very talented actors play in their show. Which sure. someone basic, who doesn't it, know the it basically what well, no, I mean it basically just suggests that somebody who's like, we'll sub out one very attractive woman for another very attractive woman, mm-hmm. even though they play very different roles. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if they, if they wanted to. If they wanted to add Seven of Nine just to bring in a Voyager cast member and have, like, a cool conflict between Picard and... Which, what we saw on um, the Picard TV series. Like, I like that tension. Like, we're the only two deborged individuals hanging around right now. We've got some some stuff that we can get along with, but also you kind of let us in some really bad stuff as Lacutus. So, I don't know. It's just if they had just been like, hey, let's put her in there as a, as a new cast member to bring in someone from another franchise, I wouldn't have hated it as much. But the fact, yes, that they're trying to swap out one for the other is very, very dumb. Um, and yeah. Mom, you had mentioned before that they wanted to do another movie. That movie, they were going to bring in Deep Space Nine characters and put them all together. Again, I would have been fine with that because, you know, we never had this kind of stuff happen with the original series movies because there was nothing else. But yeah. bringing in, like, what does she end up as? A commander? Is she Commander Kira by the end of Deep Space Nine? I think so. Have her come in or have... You know, uh, Bashir, because so a thing that's caught from this movie is uh, Beverly goes off to Starfleet Academy. Yeah. So have they, they, Bashir they, they become the Enterprise uh, chief medical officer. I, there could have been a lot of different the, fun things. I mean, none it's of that a shame that, because this movie tanked. Yeah. Which we, you know, we said it probably would have even if it had been better. Then perhaps it's time to add some illumination to our discussion. Uh, on arrival, they learn Shinzon is a clone of Picard, secretly created by the Romulans to plant a high-ranking spy in the Federation. The project was abandoned when Shinzon was still a child. So this uh, is this like a is this like a uh, Boba Fett Jango Fett situation where they're going to age him 
up. Like, yeah, was, well, that's what they, that's why he's dying. Oh, that's right, because there wasn't he, death. Because okay. he was supposed to be aged up and given certain things to age up, but then now that it's gone. I mean, I think that's... I Look, I wish it wasn't a clone thing, but if there has to be, the idea that he is an abandoned... Mm. Like, like it's, it's, it's actually kind of a... You know, this, this era of films, you know, which is roughly the sort of, like, 90s pre... This comes out after... 9-11, it started filming after 9-11, but it was really, is of that previous era, right? Yeah. The, the Cold War super warrior asset, who's then abandoned and now is back for vengeance, it's Jason Bourne. It's, uh, <laughs> I think, at least one or two Bond villains during that era, right? Like, yeah. he is left over from an earlier era of conflict and then just was thrown away like trash and came back to, to bite his handlers and the, the people he was designed to destroy. Yeah. Again, you could have worked that into a cool political thriller centered around the Romulan coup and, and never had him get, again, a big dumb ship to do a big dumb blow up of Earth. Oh, God. While we're talking about the dumbing down of this movie, I would have rather had when Shinzon and Picard are having dinner and Shinzon is explaining all this, I would have rather had it be Tom Hardy's amazing face acting with, you know, Patrick Stewart's amazing reactions to it than this bizarre flashback little child. None of that is needed. It could have just been the two of That's, them hearing the story and we would have, uh, it would have, I think it would have hit emotionally much harder. Apparently all that flashback footage was actually a prologue that they cut and repurposed under that. Oh, well, then it, it was going to open with that. Then it should have stayed on the cutting room floor and just had Tom Hardy give the story. That's probably true. Maybe, and then he could have left some of these other deleted scenes in. Yeah, so one of the deleted scenes post the Senate is also the introduction of Ron Perlman. I can't remember his character's name. The Viceroy. Viceroy. He, Viceroy. He's never, he's which, never given again, again, there are no Viceroys in ancient Rome. <laughs> uh, right. We're just mixing and matching our cool-sounding titles now. Praetor but, and Viceroy. But they do the thing where it's uh, Starship Romulan and um, the the bad guy from 24. So you already know nothing good's going to happen there. You recognize the other Romulan there, Mom, from 24. Uh, maybe the Vice President? He wasn't, Chief he of, wasn't a Romulan on 24. Though. But, but that actor always plays those kinds of roles. He was Mike... Drop. Mike Drop. Mic drop, yes, uh, exactly. They're having this conversation about, like, hey, it worked, now what are we going to do? And this is the introduction of Ron Perlman. And with that staff and everything, they never mention him by name, obviously. You could have thought, oh, this is Shinzon. So then when he shows up on the view screen, like... Praetor Shinzon, I'm pleased to... I am to- Shinzon. That would have been... Just have that part of the scene. It leads into Shinzon in the Romulan Senate and talking about the bird of prey holding the two planets, blah, 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 all this stuff. Cut that part, but at least have that first scene. So we're like, oh, Jesus, that's Shinzon? That's what a a Riemann looks like? That's terrifying. And then have it be, oh, no, that's I'm not Shinzon. You're going to meet him in a second. That's that's my two cents on that. Uh, The Enterprise crew discovers discovers that the scimitar is producing low levels of deadly Theron radiation. Uh, the same radiation that killed the entire Romulan Senate at the beginning beginning of the film. There's also an unexpected attempt to communicate with the Enterprise computers. That's all they're going to say about that? 
There's a whole thing. thing. There's a whole thing with B four. No, the one thing about the Theron, the stuff that killed the Senate. Beverly says that a little bit of that would kill everybody on the on the Enterprise. And yet they do scenes later in the movie where they're in there. I mean, does it have a half-life of like 20 seconds or have they cleaned it all up? I mean, fun. That and also they're all standing pretty close to the pulsing version of it at the end of the film. I'm like, they're literally standing in the middle of a nuclear reactor. And yeah. Yeah, it's... nobody's going, oh, God, I'm dying. <laughs> but it was pretty. Sure. <laughs> um <laughs> So it was be, pretty good CGI for 2002. Yeah. Real quick, with this uh, attempt with the computers, we get a scene with B4 with Spot. I'm sure Brent Spiner was really happy to have to hold that cat again. Um, oh, he it, didn't like the cat? I know he hated the cat. Oh. During Generations, we talked about that he didn't want to find Spot at the end. He wanted to find, like, Jordy or something that made more sense because he hated working with that cat. Uh, <sighs> the history of Spot a- is also very funny. Not only does Spot uh, switch types of cat it is, when he's first introduced, he's a long-haired, not a short-haired tabby, and also switches genders. Why do you think Data was so thoughtful about transgender individuals at the wedding? (laughs) He he learned from his cat and then applied it. Is Spot a Flurgan from uh, Captain Marvel? (laughs) This is actually... A very deadly alien that no one knows. Well, that deleted scene that I w- that I think we should put in, <laughs> where, where where Spot jumps into Worf's arms. I'm not a cat person, but I think you are now. Oh, at the at the yeah yeah <laughs> cleaning up of of Data's room. Yes, that's a that's a really nice scene. Mm-hmm. I'm um, not a cat person. You are now. <laughs> yeah, uh, George. Is it Jordy? Again, remember? Yeah, yeah Jordy says it. Shinzon violates Troy's mind through telepathy. The only thing I really want to point out is, as a man, as a hairy man myself, uh, Jonathan Frakes refused to shave his back for this scene, and they had to digitally remove his back hair, which, kudos to you, Jonathan <laughs> Frakes. <laughs> That's a real up yours to bear him out. Be like, no, you're going to have to take it off yourself. I'm not shaving my back. As bad as what's-his-face putting on chest hair as James Bond. Ah, but, but this is, I'm not going to go through something incredibly... Uh, not incredibly, but mildly uncomfortable after shaving your back because as someone who first Jesus Christ Superstar shaved his back, uh, it's very uncomfortable when it grows back in. It's very itchy. A little, little itchy, yeah. yeah one of the like, things, good for him. One of the it's 20 that, seconds on screen. Yeah, one of the things that was very interesting is that after the racing, when he's in medical quarters there, mm-hmm. nobody seems really concerned that she's gone through this. Crusher says you're normal. Aside from slightly elevated levels of adrenaline and serotonin, you're perfectly normal. John Luke refuses to to give her time off. Not only does he not give her time off, like he's like, I can endure more of these assaults. I need you at my side now more than ever. Yeah, right. It's it's pretty poorly written. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't. Again, I didn't tell. I read this other guy's stuff. I didn't. It didn't dawn on me. And again, if if it had been coded as combat. And not sexual assault. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would, you know, then True. then that would work. Hey, are you up for another fight? Mm-hmm. Not another no, violation. <laughs> you know? She gets back at him. She gets back at him. Well, right, but but that scene would have worked just as well if it had started as 
Troy and Riker are in bed, and it becomes Shinzon, and then Shinzon throws her around the room. Still not awesome. Like, assault on people is not cool in anything, but it does not have to be a, a sexual assault. And if it had been a, a physical assault, and she comes back with what she does at the end of the film, it's it, so it would have hit the same way, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have as much a problem with the previous scene. Yeah, and, and, mm-hmm. and just the way he immediately... I mean, does he, does he ask to touch her hair? In oh, the in that first scene, scene with in her. In the first scene, yeah. So, friend of the podcast, Jonathan Frakes, has some really cool uh, moments in this that I feel like are him being like, no, no, this is what Riker will do. And I'm sure we all caught this one. When Shinzon starts coming down the stairs and is talking to Troy in that scene where he's first introduced, Riker just walks right over to her like, hang on a second, mm-hmm. don't. Stay away from my wife. Um, but later in the scene after the attack, when Troy says, Shinzon's viceroy seems to have the ability to reach into my thoughts. I've become a liability. I request to be relieved of my duties. I love Stuart's nodding of the head, but permission denied. I love Frakes's quick Turn. cut yep. of his head. Like, what did you say? <laughs> Are what, you, did you say you denied? Say <laughs> what? talking about again if we're talking about if we want later to feel sympathy for the truly terrible life that shinzon has had Mm -hmm. maybe making him mr can i touch your hair right off the bat wasn't the way to like set him up as somebody who would be sympathetic and then we'd be surprised that he was a creep and even even if it had been like a a quick add-on to that line is oh Riemann women don't have hair. I'm fascinated by that. May I touch it? It's still creepy, but it's not sexual creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, I'm a, I'm a weirdo, you know? Yeah. But do Riemann women have hair? Because we don't see any Riemann women. Who cares? That we, that we know of. That we know. <laughs> some, some of those could have been ladies. Maybe, maybe Riemanns are asexual. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they produce by... Osmosis. I don't know. Uh, maybe they, I just watched a Q episode of Voyager, and uh, the wonderful Susie Plaxton was the uh, female Q on it, and she reproduced with Delancey Q, and all they did was just touch fingers, and they both went, and, and then, of course, the wonderful John Delancey is like, was that is good for you? <laughs> Jesus, so gross. This is the commercial for... For the 100th episode. Oh! Hey, Casey. Todd. We're coming up on episode 100. It's kind of a big deal. We should, we should probably, since this is going to be on other podcasts, we should tell people who we are. Hey, everybody. It's your friends from the SuperPod HeroCast. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, we have done 100 episodes. Woohoo! And we're going to do something super special for this one. We're going to let you guys see our dumb faces. What? We're going to do a live feed the night that it would drop normally. And yep. we decided to go a little outside the box. Uh, we're way outside the box on this one, Casey. How dare you? <laughs> we are going to do Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, which is not that far Ooh. outside the box. We did Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and this is the same universe, sir. If you're new to this podcast, that's the kind of banter you're going to be in store for when you come join us. <laughs> We're also hoping to have some special friends join us. Mm-hmm. We'll still release the audio version, but this is an opportunity to see us live, unedited, <laughs> unzipped, 
On oh, wait, oh no, hey that, guys, no, that, that's, oh, we didn't talk about that. That's for no, our no. OnlyFans. Join us for our 100th episode Friday, June 17th at 7:30. Go to nsrad.io/youtube for more information. Where we live with no wires dissect Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker. Seeking like a trapeze kind of motif. Oh, I got gotcha. Thing. It was no nets, no wires, no nets. Yeah. Okay, so like you said, Colin, uh, they discovered that uh, Shinzon is raging rapidly because of a process used to clone him, and the possible treatment is a transfusion. The Enterprise is far from Federation space. Q, Picard being kidnapped. Shields up! Right on Q. Hey, we gotta be ready for this. And he's gone. While this is all happening, we get a quick moment of Geordi and... Data actually doing the right thing and going to their captain with a plan as opposed to when they put his emotion chip in. Yeah. Um, and I love this. Data to Captain Picard. Go ahead, Data. Captain, Jordy and I have identified the source of the unauthorized computer access, and I believe we have found a way to gain a tactical advantage. On my way. Shinzon kidnaps Picard. Before having been planted as an android on Kolaris is there. And then we get this scene where... B4 comes in on the scimitar and is like, oh, Chinzan wants to see him. And the, the Riemann turns around and he looks at Stewart and you know it's Data because he goes, ah, he like goes, ah, yeah. we didn't need that. We were going to figure I, it out in a second or we already figured it out. I thought when he did the Falcon thing on the shoulder, I, I thought, oh, yep, okay. Learned, cool. learned it from Spock himself in yep. uh, Unification. So yep. I, I think that's a part, you know, this is what I was getting at, that, a lot of the in, the internal plot of this holds together fine. Like it, mm-hmm. you know that that before switcheroo is effectively done. The I, first time watching, you didn't catch it. Even mm-hmm. rewatching it for the second time here, uh, so many years later, I did was like, I can't. I, what? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, it's data. Okay, good. It's all handled pretty well. The problem. The, my problem is like I was saying before, Stuart Baird. It dumbs it down. We didn't need him to do the uh, because Stu, uh, yeah. because Picard knows he was brought in on the plan. We don't yeah. need that. Don't worry, I'm going to save you in a minute. Moment. He knows it's happening. Just Vulcan neck pinch. Have him drop the B four act and become Data again, and we all go, "Oh, it's Data." The yeah, end. it didn't it didn't bother me that much, but I see we, it wasn't strictly necessary. Well, yeah. I, I just I thought that Data Data. Did a really good job of acting as before. He sure did. Says, you may go. Where? Out of my sight. I just thought it was very good. He's picking up things like he would have been because he's curious. I like that, and also when he's escorting him out, and they walk by the room, and, oh. and Dave's like, "Whoa, puny human animal." A bit less florid, Data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the look Data gives the hand, like, "Wow." I was having fun. They break out in a uh, a scorpion, is the name of the little vessel that they have. Data, what do you imagine this is? Port thruster, sir. Would you like me to drive, sir? Which he, he definitely should, right? Yeah, Data like, should Data be the one. definitely should be the one flying it, right? You know, we didn't mention, but Shinzon, obviously a big fan of Star Wars, because his main throne room is the Emperor's throne room from Return of the Jedi. I mean, yeah, right. it's exactly what I felt. Welcome, young Skywalker. They determine that Shinzon's plan is to use the warship to invade the Federation. Thaleron uh, radiation generated to eradicate all life on Earth and any other planet as he sees fit. So, it's going to be 
a bunch of ships versus the Scimitar. They're all going to meet up, and I just want to point out the fun ships that are listed there on Stellar Cartography. Oh, yeah, so that's the new Stellar Cartography. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It is a much less impressive room than the old Stellar Cartography. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have the budget or the time to make a really cool one. We have the USS Intrepid, the USS Valiant, the USS Galaxy, which, uh, if you do your research, is the prototype Galaxy-class starship just given a USS instead of an NX after its time. That's the Galaxy-class starship is the USS Galaxy was the first one. Well, that's 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 how that naming convention generally works, right? Right. The defiant. So, so a Constitution-class yeah. mean, is a means the first one in service was the Constitution. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, the USS Ares, uh, the USS Nova. I didn't look up what a lot of these are, but we know the USS Hood, which is heavily used in Star Trek Next Generation because it is an Excelsior class. That's the only other model they had. And the USS Archer, named for a great spy. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Named for uh, Captain Archer. So they're going through what are the Bassin Riff. And uh, why don't they go around the rift? Because they're dumb in this moment. Yeah, it really feels like maybe don't fly through the thing that makes you fly blind, unless you just you're trying to like. Oh, because they're trying to remake Wrath of Khan. Set set a course for that Wrath of Khan remake. (laughs) Was it moves the story along? I know, but but it's the way that they portray it as being like, oh wait, we're in that rift. Oh no, like it's like they realize it's like you would just think that would be the kind of thing that any course would automatically be designed to avoid. Or if it's something they haven't gone through before, still have it, you know, mess up the stellar cartography stuff and have Data be the one to realize it, but because he does something on the computer real quick. And you can still have that reaction of, oh, shit, we're about to get attacked. But don't have it be, why is this happening? Oh, it's because of this. Data, why didn't you say this before, man? It's a bad plot device. Um, Yeah. So they're getting their asses handed to them, but uh, I like this. The the okay. So two things. <laughs> Go for it. So the scimitar can fire cloaked, huh? Yeah, sure can. Which doesn't seem to be a thing that anybody comments on. You know, it, it feels like a throwaway line, at least to acknowledge whether or not that is standard procedure now. Uh, would be nice, given what a plot device it's been in the past. Well, could also couldn't Dominion ships fire cloaked? Gosh, I it's been a while since I've rewatched D Space. Nine, I feel so like I they remember. they could, and since the Romulans pretty much you know kowtowed to the Dominion, they're like, yeah, sure, you're going to take over this sector. Here we go, we're joining with you. That seems like they would have gotten that technology. But the firing blind mm-hmm. to try and get them that I and that just. To give credit where it's due, it's a pretty good space battle. It really is, especially oh, yeah, when is. those two other uh, very beautiful uh, warbirds show up. The, yeah, those are nice. Those are, I'm like, wait, where have these been? These are awesome. Uh, they are Mogai-class Romulan warbirds that were uh, shown a couple times on Deep Space Nine, but seeing them in high res, they're probably computer-generated. They just they look super sleek. They're very cool-looking. Yeah. Fight ensues. Riker is with uh, the Viceroy fighting in the bowels of the ship while Picard is having his beautiful Enterprise just destroyed left and right. And what does he decide to do? He's going to ram him. I think (laughs) it's so cool. It's pretty cool. And so we've talked a lot about how much we dislike a lot of the Deanna Troyce Mm storyline. Important to note that I think Marina Sirtis does a great job acting it. Yep. 
But I think her uh, one of her best moments is literally just the look on her face when she's ramming that she gets, you know, mm-hmm. it's a really good bit of acting. Um, would you describe what Riker is doing with the Viceroy as Kirk fighting? Oh, 100% is Kirk food. Yeah. It's a big Kirk fight, right? I mean, the only thing, I just wish they had done the one where he jumps and, and kicks with both feet. Or the double hand. That, that's a standard Kirk fight move. Yeah, it's a real Kirk fight. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. In fact, when he's kicking um, the Viceroy and knocking him to his death, we'll finish up that storyline, I wanted him to say... Have had enough of you. <laughs> <laughs> or no, I, how I, dare you rape my wife? Well, <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. I was waiting for them to drop the little quippy thing after he kicked him down the the elevator, the the endless shaft. <laughs> Speaking of Star Wars, um, <laughs> yeah. But it's very I'm glad. Th- I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad. Sure. It's you know. Anyway, let's t- spend a minute on this ramp because. This is not CG. So they rammed a couple of models together? They rammed two models oh, nice. together. Aside from like the explosions and stuff floating off into space, that's two models that they just went boom yeah. and shot it at high speed to be able to slow down to show the mass of the two. I think... Oh, it was great. Oh, it looks so good. It's the best mm-hmm. moment in this film. Hands Do you down. feel like maybe there should have been a... Please evacuate the forward decks of the saucer before ramming it into people. Yeah, 10 forward is gone. Which, is Guinan still on the ship, or does she skadoodle after... Because um, she's there at the wedding, but I think she... Married That's what I wrote times. down. Thank you. That's what the 23 was, that Guinan was married 23 times. You know, she's like five, 600 years old, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh. yeah, sure. Did you ever think about getting married again? No, 23 was my limit. So that cripples both ships, and of course, Shinsan is just going to go for the nuclear option. He's going to take everyone out on the ship, then go to Earth and blow it up. Picard goes over to the scimitar alone. They do one beam, and of course, that one beam blows out all the transporters. And Shinzon and uh, Picard fight. You can definitely tell this is Lord of the Rings time, because everyone was obsessed with swords. So Shinzon has a very specific uh, dagger that was for sale at the time of this film. Like, that is the thing that happened during Lord of the Rings. Is swords and knives became collectible things again. Mm. Um, well, speaking of swords and knives, I mean, we're, we're getting to where Shinzon and Picard fight. That's where we're and then, So go ahead. And, and then Shinzon is impaled. <laughs> and my note is, yes, we also saw Excalibur. <laughs> Yes, because so it's it's stolen from the end of Excalibur, which was then later again stolen for what the end of Batman Superman. Batman v Superman. Yep, where he walks up the sword to get. I'm glad we're together now. Our destiny's complete. Steal from the best, right? Yeah. Uh, so he's killed. Picard's pretty much just staring at the, uh, Deleron, uh, radiation burst, just being like, yeah, I'm gonna die now. And Data to the rescue. The Data jumping ship to ship, literally jumping ship to ship, was, was a cool. very cool set piece. Yeah, uh, that's a good bit. And, and done very well with, I'm assuming, not Brent Spiner grabbing the side of the Scimitar. I don't think that's, that's Brent doing any of that. Nor should it be, because it looked like it hurt a little. He leaps the distance, and uh, a plot device that is entered in during the rescue of Picard the first time, there is an emergency transport beacon that only has one transport. 
we have moved over a hundred years into the future, and they they can't transport two people on one pad like they did in start in the one with the whales. Come on. Well, well, yep. come on. <laughs> I mean, but more the big the big plot holy thing there is why didn't he just give it to Picard before he beamed over? Right. Or why? Because then Picard would just beam back, and Data would be alive. Or hey, why didn't? Picard, well, I guess Data has to blow it up, but why not set, like, a, a phaser? We, they've done it before. Set a phaser to be a bomb. Yeah, there's a, to so overload, many. And then Data jumps out the front of the ship of the Scimitar, jumps back to the Enterprise B, or E, and ta-da! Data saved. The, the sacrifice of Data is obviously because Brent Spiner didn't want to play Data. And, and because they wanted to do the ending of Wrath of Khan, right? Right. Where one, where they wanted to spot him, yeah. Where somebody sacrifices, you know, but it does not feel organically arrived at. It feels like you write, they were writing, what was the other movie we talked about where it was writing backwards from, from something? One uh, of f- uh, ba- 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 th- three? Maybe. The Return of Spock? Like they, yeah, they yeah that's right. Spock they're to- writing backwards from The Return of Spock. Here they're writing backwards from the, from the death of Data. So it does not feel like it's organically arrived at man yeah and you know uh the the crew morning data uh is really well done uh the like we said there's a scene where they're going through data's belongings (laughs) Worf somehow ends up with spot um that's nice but there's a tie-in novel a graphic novel for jj abrams first star trek movie because uh, something that's that's not that's kind of glossed over in that movie, and this is mild spoilers for the next film. Uh, Nero is from this time period, right? What we find out in that is that his big ship—I can't remember what it's called—we'll cover it when we get to that movie. His big ship is a Romulan ship with Borg technology around it. That is how it's able to rebuild itself in the time between the beginning of Star Trek. Uh, the 2009 Star Trek movie, too, when we meet up with them again. One of the things also in that is that the new captain of the Enterprise E during that time, because, like, it always happens, uh, Picard becomes an ambassador, never becomes an admiral, B4 is the new captain of the Enterprise. Well, B- Data in B4's body. Which <laughs> Picard completely takes away. There's a line in the Picard TV series that the B4... Uh, integration to data did not take and before pretty much is disassembled. Just some fun things that uh, parts of it don't matter anymore because it's not canonical anymore. Did you uh, did you guys notice in the scene where they're saying goodbye to data, how many of them held their wine glasses mm-hmm. correctly? Worf didn't. <laughs> well, yeah, but in the scene where they do with just Picard and Worf. Uh, Picard and data? And Worf, no, way back. When he's there's a deleted scene with Picard and Worf. Oh right, yeah. Where they drink and Picard holds his wine glass by the very bottom, not by the stem, but by the very bottom. Mm-hmm. And then in the scene with all of them to say goodbye to Data, some of them hold it by the bowl, some of them hold it by the stem. Yeah. And I just thought that yeah, you can see who the wine drinkers are in this crowd. <laughs> Well, now, Worf is from a culture in which one of the delicacies is eaten live. So perhaps he prefers his wine at a slightly warmer temperature and wants to hold it. Sure. One of the things we find out during Deep Space Nine is before battle. No, no, this might be a canonical thing that, that Michael Dorn 
did. Blood wine is just in a giant barrel in the middle of uh, Klingon blood wine. It's just in the middle of the room, and you just drink it and drink it until it's gone. It's not it's kept at room temperature. Maybe he he likes his his wine a little warm. Um, I do like it back in that deleted no. scene between Picard and Data. I like when they're drinking the Chateau Picard and Data's just mirroring everything. Can Data taste? Sure, he's I mean, got taste he... buds. Yeah. Because he didn't like the taste of whatever he drank on 10 Forward in Generations. Once they, once they put the thing in, yeah. But he could taste stuff before then. He just he, he probably just processed, oh, this is salty. Oh, this is sweet. This is mm-hmm. sour. You know, he didn't have a reaction to it. Have an emotional. Have emotion or, to go with it. Crew mourns Data. The surviving Romulan commander, Donatra, offers her gratitude for saving the Enterprise. Here's our last little bit. Back to Earth, Picard bids farewell to Riker, who is leaving to command the USS Titan. Picard meets B4 and discovers that before that they boarded the Scimitar, Data downloaded his engrams into the neural net of B4, allowing him to live on. Sort of. Uh, B4 starts singing Blue Skies. Picard leaves B4's quarters and smiles. And that is technically where the movie ends, except... There is a wonderful deleted scene where mm-hmm. where Riker. Yeah, that was a nice scene. <laughs> Riker just yes. completely he screws likes being over called Picard. Yes. No, he likes being called Jean Luc. Jean Luc, yes. <laughs> Which a should have been the end of the film because having seen the Enterprise E all broken up in dry dock is not the last time I want to see. Yeah, it's a sour. I don't want to. Whereas, yeah, seeing them go <sighs> off and fly yeah. away is, and that scene is great, and then. <laughs> That scene is really nice. I mean, I the, I could take or leave the seatbelt joke. Oh, I thought that was. However, funny. the engineer clearly from Starfleet Command, it's kind of like, ha ha ha. The captain liked it. <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty funny. But but the bit with where he where he says you're going to like going here. It's it's where no one has gone before. A is a lovely little ending, and B like talk about like that is this, uh, such a skill to deliver that line, right? And really make it seem like a natural progression. Of 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 actual human dialogue mm-hmm. when you're really quoting, yeah. Where no one has come. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so nice. It's a, it's, I, I, that would have been a nice ending. I I do kind of miss yeah. that bit. That that was one of the more successful deleted scenes. Okay, so that, dear listeners, is the Star Trek nemesis. Oh, and let's get to the questions because I'm pretty sure we all have the same answer for number one. Is this a good movie? Nope. No. No, no not really. It's a good story, but it's not a good movie. Yeah. Is it a good Star Trek movie? Uh, no, it is not. <laughs> it's got really promising prote- potential, especially with those deleted scenes of being a decent Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. But no. Megan, shut up. What's he parking at? Oh, probably the... We're getting an Amazon package. Hang on, we just gotta wait. He's not gonna stop. <laughs> Can you hear him? Yes. Using his big boy voice. I'm a big tough dog. Woof, woof. Fagan, shut it. Did you hear that? What? He's just like, woof. Like a little <laughs> tiny, like, well, I'm still a tough guy. Now, would you recommend this as someone's intro to Star Trek? No. If you want them to hate <laughs> no, the franchise, not. absolutely. Yeah, no, I would not. Not a good entry point at all. Even if it had been a more successful film, it probably given that it was designed to be a wrapping up, would not have been a great, you know, uh, intro. Yeah. But 
yeah, it's it, no, I would not pat, make anybody watch this to try to get them into no, drag. No, 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 no. Like a couple times when we've been doing this, uh, I have kind of been like, "Hey, Bean, hang out in the room with me while I watch this to try and see if like some of this is through osmosis is gonna make her enjoy this." <laughs> Didn't even bother. In fact, my, my lunch break yesterday, I watched the first hour of this to be like, "No one else needs to see this movie. No one in this household yeah. needs to see this thing." <laughs> Has she tried the ones with the whales? Have you shown nah, that? Nah, no. I think she would think it was. It's probably too. Think old. it was a quote unquote classic, and those are bad things. So, okay. So, but she does now know who Lavar Burton is because we've gotten there in a community. Lavar oh, nice. shows up on community, which is just wonderful. Um, seriously, anyone out there, make it through the the herky jerky beginning of Community. You will be completely satisfied. It's such a good show. Picard drift status update. Feels like you part know, of the effects from the planet in the last movie are still with Picard in this film. He's he's rough and tumble. You know, I actually one thing I didn't mention is there's a well, okay, so we've got the dune buggying, sure. But I think that they did a good job of consistently I mean, even even well into the the attack, he has that scene where Shinzon is holographically projected mm-hmm. in so that they can have the actor, which is a trick they did on Deep Space Nine, too, and now they just do on the yeah. reg, basically all Star mm-hmm. Trek. But it, um, he's trying to talk Shinzon out of it, saying, you can still become a better person. Right. That's, That's Picard, Picard, yeah. Right? And, and I, I think that they clung to that even in the face of a sort of low-grade existential crisis about a clone of him being so evil, I thought that that was, you know, so I think that this film, you know, holds to who Picard is pretty yeah. well. How about you, Mom? Eh. <laughs> okay. Well, then I guess I'll just move to the next question. What's the best moment? Oof. <laughs> I, I, I think, despite my saying I would prefer the film have not have been as much of a space shooter mm-hmm. up when it does become one, that's a pretty well executed. Scene. Yeah. It's obviously, that's what Stuart Baird wanted to make. And it's probably the most competent the movie is, is when it's space battle. Right. Specifically, I'm going to point out the ramming. Like that's how desperate Picard is in this moment. He's going to sacrifice his ship to stop Shinzon. Uh, ramming the two ships together is, is the best moment for me. And he had to do that because of the <clears throat> countdown, Destruction, self-destruct was disabled, was broken. That that part of it, and also the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the nice moment that the phaser makes are down to 4%, mm-hmm. and he's like, well, how are Shinzon's uh, uh, shields doing? And George's like, yeah, they're like at 80%. We're, we're not doing any damage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> my favorite, my to me, it was remember me. Oh, yeah. The more? Oh, 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 no, no. oh, gotcha, gotcha. But with Troy, yes, that's mm-hmm. a wonderful moment. Yeah. That's, that's just brings the end, of, it, it brings an end to the very distasteful scene. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it also shows her overcoming what she went yeah. through. Right. Sure. Yeah, no. I mean, she and she sells the hell oh, out yeah, of it. She does. Like, it's a good. It's a well, good. She's, yeah, I mean, it's and it's a dark moment for Troy, which is something Troy never really got. Like mm-hmm. vengeance is mm-hmm. not something that we see Troy get to do. I don't, I, I don't think the Betazoids would do that though. They're not a revengeful people. I don't think. 
She's half human. She's half human. Oh, and that's true. I'm sure after, well, spoilers for the Dominion War, Beta Zed is completely messed up during the Dominion War. It becomes like, pretty much they become a slave colony in, in the Dominion War. It's, oh, yeah, it's pretty that, dark. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of thrown away like, yeah, Betazoid's down. And then you're like, wait, hang on, Betazoid? Like, pretty big part of the next generation? Um, okay, actor, admiral. No, oh, you, you, you're missing moment. Oh, we've well, got. it's when it says Star Trek Nemesis on the screen, and then when it says uh, uh, directed by Stuart Barrett. That's what I'd cut. I'd cut this whole <laughs> movie. No, I mean, for, I think I we've talked about this. For me, it's just, I would cut or substantially reframe the Troy assault mm-hmm. yeah, subplot no. mm-hmm. into something. There's something that where it, the attack is not sexualized. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, that, I agree. That's my real answer, yeah. If, yes. if we can't just cut the whole thing. Um, uh, so while we're on that, we talked a lot about the deleted scenes in this movie. What of the deleted scenes would you add back in? All of them except the one with West. Okay, sure, but one spe- if you had to do one specific, because I think we'd all have the it, same answer. For me, it would be no one. It would be the for me. Oh, the ending. We're no one because it just it brings. Oh, interesting. Okay, this was going to be the if this was going to be the last one, mm-hmm. it brings the whole next generation to an end, the way okay. it should have been instead of the way it was. I mean, I think that that's a strong candidate, but. The most, the, my favorite of them was definitely Picard yeah, and Beta. It's such a beautiful the wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It know? is a beautiful scene. But, but I think, I think, Mom, you're onto something that that may have added more structurally mm-hmm. back into the film. Just having that nice upbeat ending yeah. instead of. I love that he goes d- downer. Commander Riker pulling my leg. Picard doesn't address it. He doesn't say anything. He just turns around and walks away. Well, he, no, he turns around, walks away, but he does smile. Just oh, just I didn't. So. I did. I missed that. But his smile starts almost that if the commander wasn't really paying attention, he didn't get to see it. It's almost like he's smiling at at uh, door at uh, Worf Michael. and Jordy and Worf. Yeah. Like, is he still scared? I hope he's still scared. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I, I haven't had a, a crew member in, in the senior staff that's scared of me in a while. I want to make sure <laughs> we get one again. Yeah. Okay. Funny. So now, admiral status actor. Well, I think we just said. I think I think uh, Patrick Stewart gets a lot of great heavy lifting. Yeah, he does a really good job. So it's so weird when he goes over to the assault. He stays in full uniform the entire time. Meanwhile, we've established that he has like a cool uh, captain's jacket under there. I mean, shed some layers, man. You know, you're going in for fighting. You did it with the board two movies ago. Yeah. And like, no, especially when like he's fighting him, his jacket like comes up, and you can see the tune, the the red tunic underneath. And like, just just lose it, just have it be the vest. There's a, an interesting quote here, and with the reviews, Michael mm-hmm. LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle said that the film is a quote rather harebrained story <laughs> that's re- <clears throat> relieved to a degree only by some striking visual effects and by Patrick Stewart's outstanding presence as Picard. LaSalle complained that Stewart gave integrity and wry stoicism to Nemesis, but the movie was unworthy of him. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's unworthy <laughs> of the entire next-gen cast, but yeah. Mm-hmm. That was right yeah, he's point. giving a better performance than this, than this film. Well, um, yeah, Roger Ebert said it, you know, he, he watched it smiling 
I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, it gradually occurred to me that Star Trek is over for me. I've been looking at these stories for half a lifetime, and let's face it, they're out of gas. Well, <laughs> boy, Roger Ebert from The Great Beyond is going, boy, was I wrong, because New Trek is, is pretty solid. I'm yeah. really I'm really enjoying, you know, uh, Discovery's really found its feet, and this season is, is top-notch. Um, well, I think he's referring yeah. to this particular story. Well, and the, the, the time, next generations yeah. well, and, have run out of gas. No, it, and film, and, and film. film. Yeah. Maybe going back to TV was the right. Yeah, yeah that's at, true. At this time, we're in second season of uh, Enterprise, and Enterprise second season on the next uh, three seasons was on the bubble of being canceled every season because they kept changing what story they wanted to tell. Season two was, I believe, the Zindi War. Then season three, there's a whole time travel thing. Then they spend a couple episodes in the Mirror Universe for some reason. It was a very disjointed show, and it's so sad because I kind of liked Enterprise for the most part. Like, it had some interesting storytelling. It just, they kept changing which way they wanted the show to go, and then the finale is just so disappointing. Um, So, there's no episode to pair with this. I would say just watch any of the better Romulan episodes, either the the Defector or... um, Is that that the one with... uh, What's his face? I can't think of the actor. I forget. Yeah, the name of the. Uh, I'll look it up. It's uh, it's in season three, and um, no, funnily enough, the first episode uh, to air in the nineteen nineties. Right, it is, and who's it, it, his picture's right there as the main picture that you see, and he's a um, he's a Romulan. Oh, it's written by. It was written by Ronald D. Moore. Yeah, yeah, no, it's one. Of, I can't remember the name of the actor who plays him. I want to give the actor credit because he's a fantastic actor, and he's James, a, he's a James Sloyan. right? And he was also uh, he played the Starfleet officer that discovered Odo. Yes, he's a great actor. He's really, really good. He's really good at towing the line between likable and unlikable characters. Yeah. So watch the defector. Watch what's a yeah, good go. a good Romulan intrigue kind of episode. Or unification. Watch unification yeah. and get and get some Spock too. You know. Yeah. Those are better uses of the sort of Romulan nest of intrigue than this. Okay. So now let's rank the next generation movies. I can tell you what one in four is going to be for probably all of us. <laughs> I, 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 I'd be very surprised if we don't go, you know. So do we do this all, each to our list? Yeah. Let's start with, uh, let's start with the Admiral. Go ahead, Mom. You all know, everybody from this universe knows what my favorite is. That's whales. I like, well, that's you know, not a next generation We're movie. just saying the last four, Mom, so the ones oh, with the crap. next generation cast. So generations, first contact, insurrection, and nemesis. Well, nemesis is last. Kirk first meets- contact would be would be one, and the other two Bingo. Yeah. are interchangeable. <laughs> Put them wherever. Whatever. <laughs> As oh. Stitch says, whatever. Not so with I, you on that, but uh, yeah, mine would go first contact, insurrection, generations, nemesis. Bingo. That's exactly where mine is. Insurrection I, is actually a better this, movie on the Before rewatch. this rewatch, I probably would have switched generations and made it the second best one, but I, I honestly enjoyed Insurrection more. Insurrection felt more Star Trek, last stunt track. Like, yeah. let's put yeah. Picard and Kirk together and figure it out after that. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah I, right, right again, writing backwards. We, we are learning that writing backwards is a problem. Does not work. 
<laughs> All right, so that is Star Trek Nemesis. That is our end of our uh, next generation movies. We'll be moving into the Abrams or more nerdly known as the Kelvin universe in the next movie. Colin, if anyone wants to contact you through subspace social media, how can they do so? Uh, you can find me on space Twitter at Roll of Colin Ryan. Yeah. On uh, space Twitter for me, I am not Ryan Casey. Uh, the podcast itself has a Twitter handle, which is Where No Mom Pod. And uh, lastly, since mom, you still want to remain social media anonymous, you're not going to be joining Twitter because it is a hellhole. No, stay stay cloaked. You can fire when cloaked. <laughs> stay cloaked. Yeah. Now, now it is canonical that you can. And uh, lastly, you know, thank you for joining us along on this wonderful journey through Next Generation movies. We hope you stay with us for the Kelvin universe. There's some fun moments in those movies, and uh, that'll be the last three episodes. We'll see you next time for new faces, new lens flares. (laughs) So many lens flares. All the lens flares. Is this where I do my thing? Yes. Yes. It is. And as always, we have been and ever shall be your podcast.